0: Um, I want to start this talk on mindfulness with a poem from Naomi Shihab Nye that you may know. It's it's a very commonly quoted poem in Dharma circles called Kindness. And the reason that I'm starting a talk on mindfulness with a poem about kindness is the teaching in this poem, which is, that we perceive the vast sorrows of this life. And when we do that, we perceive the only wise response, which is kindness. The idea of kindness isn't just limited to one quality. There's a lot of different ways that we practice and express kindness. And in my view, it turns out that kindness is the great wisdom. It is the great um, gateway to well-being. And one aspect of kindness is loving attention, and that's what mindfulness is. So, um, So I wanted to start with this poem, and as I'm reading, just think about the energy of mindfulness as you understand it now. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride thinking the bus will never stop. The passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel to where the person in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say it is I you have been looking for and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. So there are certain things that make life better, and as Naomi Shihab Nye is saying here, kindness is unquestionably one of those things. And I have come to a place in my own practice where I'm really perceiving all of the Buddhist teachings as pointing either to um, clarity or kindness, and the. Cl- teaching us, practicing, learning, teaching our own minds about clarity is a kindness because seeing what's true about how the world works and what really brings peace, even if it's a challenging truth, like the truth of impermanence, that everything changes and nothing lasts. Seeing what's true allows us to operate while we're here with more wisdom. And a big piece of this wisdom, as I'm saying, is, is kindness. Or there are other words, goodwill, benevolence, friendliness. Goodwill, benevolence, warmth, kindness, all initiate with warm attention or a kindly noticing. We can't be friendly towards something if we don't see it if we don't perceive it. So the first act of warmth is noticing, kindly noticing. There can also be hostile noticing. Hostile noticing is not is not it's a thing. We all do it sometimes, but it's not mindfulness. Mindfulness, the the synonym that Jack Cornfield and Tara Brock have been using a lot lately for mindfulness is loving awareness. So again, it's more than simply noticing. It's also lovingly uh, attending to or being aware of. So this kindly noticing precedes all caring action. And if you think about it, Kindly noticing friendly attention is what a really good friend gives you. It's, it's the first thing they give you. How are you? No. So good to see you. I, I see you and I care about you. Dignot Han says the most precious gift we can offer anyone is our attention. When mindfulness embraces those we love, they will bloom like flowers. Mindfulness is often compared to a light or sunlight. It has this quality of illuminating in this warm way, illuminating what's there. So what's so cool is what the Buddha discovered and taught and what's been passed down through the ages to us is that We can offer this warm attention to what we loosely call ourselves, (laughs) to self. Um, You may know that in Buddhism, there is an understanding that our general concept of self is not the end game, that there's more to be seen. so but when we're when we're operating from a sense of self generally what we're referring to is our bodies and our thoughts and our emotions. And our bodies include felt sense of body and what we see and hear and taste and smell just all the kind of senses of the body. And then there's the mind which has all the thoughts. And then there's, you know, just all the kind of different emotions and moods and energy levels that we have. And, you know, and in thought, thoughts include lots of things, our perceptions, our opinions. Collectively, we tend to call all those things self. And what mindfulness does is it turns this non judgmental friendly attention in towards those aspects, in towards self. So we could really see mindfulness as friendly attention to the self. What does that do? Not unlike what Thich Nhat Hanh was describing happens for our loved ones when we offer them loving awareness. It raises well-being level on every possible sphere well-being can exist and it's really cool because there's so much so much study about it now but it raises up physical health it raises up mental health it raises up emotional health it raises up relational health and all that's happening is this kindly attention turned inward to our present moment experience Oh, there's um, the sensation in the body. Oh, there's hearing. Oh, there's a thought. Oh, there's an emotion. Knowing what's happening in the moment, even if what's happening is difficult, like a friend does, a good friend. If you come to a good friend and they say, how are you? And you say, I hurt my back. My back really hurts. (laughs) They say, wow, I'm sorry. No, how are you taking care of yourself? What can I do? Friendly attention, even to the difficult. It's what mindfulness provides. So, not to say that mindfulness will make us so self-sufficient we don't need our our people. It's not that. It's that mindfulness offers us this healing energy. We become our own wise friend and we can offer ourselves this energy at any time. So you're in the bank line and the song on the speakers triggers a sad memory of a breakup. You can bring in mindfulness, oh, sadness, hearing. Oh, there's the feet on the floor. And that friendly non-judgmental energy does its magic of just giving us a little bit of space, a little bit of a spacious, caring container to hold the whole experience so that we don't plummet down into a rabbit hole of ruminative thought. Ruminative is a funny word. Um, you know what I'm saying though, <laughs> plummet down a rabbit hole of storytelling, yeah. When I say ruminative, I think it's how I say it, most people don't, a lot of people don't know what I'm saying, <laughs> it would be a better way to articulate that. So mindfulness was defined by Jon Kabat-Zinn as paying attention on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. So we all have the capacity to do this, even for those of us who have, you know, a trauma background or some kind of, you know, journey through life that's left us with a mind that um, can be really mean on a lot of judgmental, which is very, very common. Even those of us who deal with that, we still have the capacity to simply be aware in the present moment without negative judging what's going on. Um, And that's what we cultivate, that's what we widen and deepen with an intentional mindfulness practice. Thai Buddhist teacher Ajahn Dhamma said, everyone has some degree of mindfulness. The ordinary business of life, driving a car, baking bread, and so on, requires that we're mindful or attentive to the present moment to some extent but this usually alternates each minute with long lapses of forgetfulness. A person who has no mindfulness at all is mad, completely scattered, and out of contact. I remember one time, and I'm sure this is me, sometimes this can be me, but one time I was driving on University Avenue in Berkeley and I saw a person, a man walking along um, with his head kind of shaking and talking to himself. Sometimes I see that, and they're on, you know, they're in earphones on phones, but this was just a person talking to themselves. And I recognized that. I recognized it when the mind, when we're so lost in our thoughts that, like, the present moment just isn't even there at all. You know, in those moments we're out of contact. The um, ancient Sri Lankans word for mindfulness translates into English as non-abandoning. It's basically being with life as life is arising, rather than abandoning life as life is arising for these very compelling stories we have going on up here. And not to, there's just, not intended to be any blame in any part of this process. You know, this is kind of what happened to us as we evolved and became, you know, the species that we are today. We have these minds that allow us to cooperate and collaborate and create and imagine and then bring reality out of the imagination. We have these minds that are amazing. And they are so compelling to awareness that many people spend their whole lives here. Um, there's basically two ways the brain operates. is this amazing capacity to churn out story, and also because this part of the brain, it's called the default mode network, it's several parts, um, default mode network all up here. And it it also is very much attuned to survival. So it, when it's automatically telling its stories, it tends to churn up, you know, Concerns about the past, fears about the future, um, problems that it's trying to work on even if they're unsolvable, things that aggravate and annoy us out in the world, tends to be really negative. Default mode network or automated thinking. And we're lost in there a lot, but luckily we have this other whole, um, and this part exists in the prefrontal cortex, this other whole way of thinking which includes our present moment experience that's creative and aware and there's like that's where the peace is buddhist teacher christian wolf said the wandering mind is an unhappy mind and that may be partly because there's a kind of an abandonment going on could call it abandonment of self, body, emotions, and naming thoughts, or abandonment of life, because this moment is always where life is. Not to blame ourselves, but begin to invite ourselves into relationship with self and life, this friendly, caring relationship. Bob Sharple said, Don't meditate to fix yourself to improve yourself, to redeem yourself. Rather, do it as an act of love, of deep, warm friendship to yourself. In this way, there's no longer any need for the subtle aggression of self-improvement, for the endless guilt of not doing enough. It offers the possibility of an end to the ceaseless round of trying so hard that wraps so many people's lives in a knot. Instead, there is now meditation as an act of love. How endlessly delightful and encouraging. Because that's really what it is, you know, referring us back to Naomi Shihab Nye's nice poem, Kindness. is that caring, noticing that we all need in order to thrive. So I won't talk much about this. This is what I'm about to mention now would be like a whole retreat or class. But I do wanna say, and many of you know this, that when the Buddha was teaching about mindfulness, his suttas, his teachings on mindfulness are called uh, the four foundations of mindfulness. And the first three are direct experiences we can perceive in the present moment. And then the fourth one is kind of ways, he invites us to be mindful of different skillful ways of responding to the present moment. So the first is body. And that includes, you know, body sensation and breath. And then as I was saying earlier, you know, aware of seeing and hearing and smelling and tasting. And that can be really fun. i I grew up um part of m- my childhood was on a farm. and um, I was the, we actually didn't move to the farm until I was fifteen. So it was the very end of my childhood, my last three years before I went away to college. And um, I had jobs like the rest of my siblings you know cleaning up poop and you know pulling weeds and stuff like that and I figured out that it was easier for me to kind of inwardly from the inside of my body plug my nose than smell some of the bad smells that were going on in the barn and stuff and then that became a habit and i just really didn't smell very much after that and then on a on a mindfulness retreat um you know i really become aware of um the senses i could really see how my sense of smell was very very dim almost non-existent and so i befriended my sense of smell. I actually gave it a name. (laughs) And I would congratulate it every time it smelled something. And it was really fun and I actually like did that with all the senses like, oh we're seeing something and now we're hearing and oh, smelling. And it might, I don't know how that lands for you, but it can be really fun to explore just having a human body Um, sometimes you know other times of course needless to say it's really really challenging to have a body when there's any kind of pain physical or emotional it can be really challenging but either way whether you're enjoying um, exploring the experience of being embodied or um, facing pain mindfulness helps because it's a presence that allows either for gratitude and amazement and awe or for compassion and care and addressing what's needed. I'm just going to see if I can quickly. Oh, yeah, James Baldwin. This is a quote from James Baldwin. He said, Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. And that's on every level. But on the level of body, when there's pain that we've been denying or avoiding or minimizing, mindfulness brings it into awareness. And then if we stay in in that place of present moment awareness, there's this kind of creative, compassionate response that arises. Like, well, what do we need right now? Just again, I want to refer us back to this idea of kindness of the friend. You know, I really feel like Buddhist practice is really deepening and widening the inner friend. So we face whatever's happening with our body or we're with it, or we're noticing what we hadn't noticed before with the senses. so that's body that's the first foundation of mindfulness and the second foundation of mindfulness is um, what's called feeling tone vedna in, in Pali and these are sort of ways we perceive reality that can precede emotion and and thought and so so you'll notice something like something you're seeing or hearing or feeling or thinking. You'll notice something, and then immediately with that will come the awareness, or sometimes we're not aware of it, but it'll be there. If you look for it, it'll be there. Some way we know that we experience this aspect of reality as either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So for me, if I take a bite of a fresh, ripe nectarine, pleasant. Um, if the alarm goes off too early, unpleasant. If I'm driving to the gas station, neutral. And the value of noticing whether something is pleasant or unpleasant or neutral for you is that when we notice that, we have interrupted the cycle of reactivity because typically what happens is we don't notice that. Something happens in reality and we react. So if something's pleasant, we want more of it. If something is unpleasant, we want to get it away from us and if something is neutral we tend to ignore it just go just kind of not even see it just go blind to it Um, and we don't have to we can be again we don't have to um, be lost in the automated responses We can actually be with experience and even be with unpleasant experience and not push it away. Be with pleasant experience and not grasp for more. Be with neutral experience and really notice it. Joseph Goldstein, another great, uh, great Buddhist teacher said mindfulness of feeling tone is the best way to change our habits that increase suffering because we can know something is unpleasant and then we don't have to react to it or pleasant and we don't have to grasp or neutral but still can notice it and thus be here for a lot more of our lives. So that's the second foundation of mindfulness. First foundation is body, all aspects of body. Second foundation is feeling tone. And then the third foundation is mind activity. And um, and we could say emotions are some combination of mind activity and felt sense. We feel emotions in the body like You know, I get embarrassed, my cheeks get red. You know, I get sad or fearful or angry. There's a contraction in the heart area. Um, You know, I feel, you know, something's funny. There's laughter, you know, sad. There's tears. There's this body is involved with emotions, but so is mind. So mind activity includes a lot of stuff. And so I just want to spend most of the rest of my talk now talking about mindfulness of thoughts and emotions Um, and this is all in that third foundation of um, um, the four foundations of mindfulness and again you know just as we're considering this just noticing how a simple mindfulness practice body maybe feeling tone if you want to take that on thoughts and emotions, how it it could really be potentially extremely transformative because of this kind, this kind noticing. So starting with mindfulness of thoughts. So first of all, what are thoughts? Okay, they're basically words and pictures inside our heads. Um, We call it cognition. There can be many categories of thoughts. So memories, images fantasies beliefs ideas attitudes assumptions values goals plans visions dreams desires predictions judgments and that's just the tip of the iceberg because our our minds are churning out thoughts all the time and they and they're doing this amazing thing of you know associating and connecting and making new thoughts and learning and hearing and making new ones and making new jumps over and it's like until we die this is a thing the mind does and you can check for yourself right now just let's all take a moment to close our eyes and see what our minds are doing could be words, you could hear a voice, or see writing, or pictures, or a combination of both. And if the mind goes blank, just wait. I'm not having any thoughts is a thought. Yeah, it's doing its thing, right? And remember that Thoughts are not sensations or feelings. They're different. The brain doesn't have any pain receptors. Like it can churn out a lot of stuff that that the nervous system may react to, but it itself is, is, it's a, it's, it doesn't, check it out. There's the thoughts there and they can impact the body, but they're not the body. And we have millions of thoughts in one day and it never runs out. And as I was saying before, mind has a tendency to be negative. So if you've noticed that about your mind, please don't take that personally. That's the human mind. So um, human mind is quick to judge, criticize, compare, point out what's not good enough, tell us what needs to be improved our minds evolved to think negatively because that's what allowed our ancestors to survive and if you're here because you think that mindfulness meditation is going to erase your old mental tapes I am so sorry to be the bearer of bad news but mindfulness does not erase our old mental tapes it does teach us a new language, or it—not necessarily a new language. We all know love, but it—it it does deepen and broaden the language of love for sure. But we all will always know our original language. Here's the good news, though: what we can learn to do is disidentify from negative or non-helpful thinking. We do not have to buy in we so in that sense negative thoughts are not inherently problematic the problem is that we get entangled or involved with them we believe them and mindfulness helps us over and over and over and again to not do that so and they do I in my experience they do dissipate because there's now a new, a new language, a new, you know, there's new circuitry available, so just to say. So, but what happens for us often as human beings um, is that we do identify with our negative thinking and then we don't, and then we feel unhappy, we're unhappy. Remember, wandering mind is unhappy mind. So if we're believing, the, the, the remember the default mode network, it just wants us to be safe. And in the olden days, thousands of years ago, safe made, meant stay in your area. You know, don't, don't leave. Just stay what you, with what you know. If you go over that hill, you might get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. So just stay here. And so our minds have that kind of built in. And we, we have, you know, our minds will say, give us obstacles about difficulties that lie in our path. It has a lot of self judgment, all the ways we're not up to the task, compares us negatively or unfavorably to others who seem to have it better off than we do, makes negative predictions of failure or rejection We don't have to buy into any of that. We can use mindful awareness to note, ah, thinking. Oh, negative thinking. Ah, judging. Oh, comparing mind. <laughs> and whenever we do that, we're putting a drop in the bucket of freedom. Freedom to like, Live the lives we wanna live. Reach out, be brave, connect. Move towards our, our dreams. So if there were one thing you took away from this talk tonight, it would be this. When there's a thought and, and, and it's hurtful, you know and you're buying in like i'm not good enough or you know the world is going to hell in a handbasket you can just if if there's any mindfulness available to you bring that in to notice your thinking and say to yourself i'm having the thought that what what that does is It gives you a little bit of distance. So instead of being the thought, what they call fused with the thought, where awareness is completely fused, we just have a sense that this is who we are, we're the one having this thought, and this thought is true, damn it. We get a little bit of distance. I'm having the thought that I'm not good enough. And just that little bit of distance can help us have a little bit of chance to maybe not identify with the thought so noticing with mindfulness naming I'm having the thought or I'm thinking that's helps us to get unhooked come back into the present moment. What's happening right now? No, what am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I feeling? What's else going on in life? You know, I don't wanna be that guy I saw walking along with his head bobbing, clearly lost in the maze of the mind. We don't have to be. We can learn to come back into this other way of being, this way of friendly noticing loving awareness and then with that detaching from thoughts we can just persist with it just keep practicing the more you practice the easier it'll get and when we come in on the cushion and when, you know one of the things i said that i learned this is a phrase of sharon salzberg's when we're in meditation i said it to you and i say it to myself all the time The healing's in the returning. It's not that we're bad or wrong for being lost in thought. This is the predicament of the human mind. So no self judgment allowed. (laughs) Just warmly return. What's happening right now? So that's thoughts and then I'll just say a little bit about emotions. Um, this is a, a short poem by Jeff Foster. Never judge a feeling as negative. Simply feel it. Let its energy move in your body. Breathe into discomfort. Oxygenate sadness. Saturate anger with presence. Drench fear with tender curiosity. You'll find no negativity, only a precious part of you longing for acceptance. So, as I said, thoughts play an important role in the creating of emotions unquestionably. And how mindfulness is with thoughts, which is identifying and and then unhooking is different um, from emo- how mindfulness is with emotions it's a different mindfulness skill because it's a different phenomenon thoughts are like bubbles they come and go and if we don't identify with them they go pretty quickly and as i said they don't have they don't have any um pain that's directly associated with them. They're just the thing churning out and then the body believes and reacts. The body's different. The body is slower than thoughts. Body takes more time and more patience. And it has, and what happens with the body has its own time frame that we can't ch- control or change, much like weather. Although the body is faster than weather usually, but like, if it's going to be sunny for a period of time then it's going to be sunny for a period of time and no amount of shouting at the sky is going to change that that's the same with emotions they have their own time frame and so we handle them differently from thoughts so what we usually do when we're identified with them and we we feel like they're ours and we have some control over them or even just let go of their ours that's a whole nother like can worms when we feel like we have some control over them um, we try (laughs) to do stuff to make them go away and that's important sometimes essential but if we do that all the time as a rule of thumb uh, we numb out and our lives become smaller so You know, some of the things that we do to deal with difficult emotions, we distract ourselves in a million different ways. We opt out of challenging situations uh, or quit or withdraw. If anything brings up difficult feelings, stay away. Um, We um, use, use our minds to try to think or control, blame ourselves, blame someone else. Um, analyze, imagine the future and, you know, crave something. These are all ways that we typically use, and this is us, all of us as humans, to kind of get away from or manage or imagine control of difficult emotions. We can use substance abuse. So this is natural, not always a problem, as I said, for sure, for sure. Uh, But there's a different way that we can also try, and that's mindfulness of emotions. And that involves non-judgmentally noticing the physical sensations in the body. So, and, and naming what is the emotion, which I don't know about you, but I was never very good at. I knew like five emotions by name, you know. Fear and anger and sadness and happiness. Four. <laughs> I'm still not very erudite on uh, on emotions. It doesn't matter. You can you can basically know, okay. And sometimes we don't even know, but we can just know this much. Are you feeling open? or are you feeling contracted generally speaking open feels pleasant and contracted feels unpleasant so noticing what the emotion is noticing how it shows up physically and then just bringing that's that's really it just bringing mindful awareness and perhaps some compassion care and friendship to the situation if the emotion is difficult but That practice of mindfulness around emotions gives it space. It's not like with thoughts where it just moves on quickly. It might still be there. But what we learn is that we can give up the struggle with emotions and we can still show up for life. So there might be fear inside you. Georgia O'Keeffe famously said, I've been terrified every single day of my life. And I never let it stop me from doing a single thing I wanted to do. There can be emotion going on here and we can still show up, do the thing we care about, do it anyway. We don't have to shut down and distract those are Those are important strategies as I said sometimes, but if they're derailing us from our lives, if we're unhappy, we can't wait for the difficult emotions to go away. We can give the difficult emotions space, let them have their own lifespan, and go on with our lives with them in tow. Jack Cornfield said, Let yourself be open and life will be easier. A spoon of salt in a glass of water makes the water undrinkable. A spoon of salt in a lake is almost unnoticed. And how do we turn a glass of water into a lake regarding our emotions? Mindful awareness. Naming it. There's this famous saying um, coined by Dan Siegel, who is a neuroscientist and researcher and writer. I'm sure some of you are familiar with him, many of you. Um, He coined the phrase regarding emotions, name it to tame it. When we bring mindful awareness to our emotions, both in terms of what it is and where it's located in our body, uh, we create that space. Psychologist David Rock said, when you experience significant internal tension and anxiety, you can reduce stress by up to 50% by simply noticing and naming your state. He further explains, if we can see the emotion, we do not have to be the emotion. So, yeah, bringing that kind noticing that you receive from a good friend to yourself, your body, your thoughts, your emotions. That's what mindfulness is. And it's that power of care that really transforms us and transforms the world. I do wanna, that's basically the end of my talk, but I do wanna tag onto the end the fourth foundation of mindfulness. We, We did the first three a little bit, body and feeling tone and mind, mind and emotions. The fourth one is called mindfulness of dharmas. And then we meet in that fourth one the Buddha was teaching um, different Buddhist constructions of how to respond skillfully to reality. Primary among those is the Four Noble Truths, acknowledging that there's suffering and the Second Noble Truth that suffering happens because Of clinging or craving that we've identified with something and it's not like what I was saying what happens with us of the mind or it happens with body or emotions we've identified with it and we're reacting and we're freaking out and trying to control and push and telling many many stories that's the source of suffering according to Buddhism third noble truth there's a possible way out really what is it fourth noble truth Um, uh yeah it's the fourth noble truth which is the eightfold noble path and that's a list of eight things we do working with the mind around intention and understanding and working with our upping our radically upping our kindness levels with integrity uh, wise livelihood and uh, caring action and then working on being really really present through mindfulness and effort and concentration. So the fourth uh, is just, is, is basically the land of studying Buddhism and, and the structures that help us understand where to point our attention. Okay. Closing with one more poem. This is called, throw, called Throw the Doors Wide Open by Jane O'Shea. Throw the doors wide open and step into the enormous palace inside you. Breathe. Breathe into every space. Feel every sensation, the joyful warmth of shared love and the vast emptiness that sometimes echoes around our hearts the excited clarity of inspired thought, as well as that clustered maze inside our heads, that deep spread of satisfaction at the end of a good day and the tight knots that curl into the pit of our belly. Breathe. It's your body. This is the field of your experience. This is your true home. This is where you belong. Okay, thank you for your kind attention. Um, we just have a few minutes left. Um, I wanna invite you if you wanna have a question or um, you know, a question about mindfulness or, or specifically mindfulness of body or anything that I shared or comment, uh, raise your hand or put up the um, you know blue hand that they have or whatever color it is these days. Um, and then I'll invite you to unmute.. Okay. All right, I, I know there's another page, but for some reason I can't get there, but I think nobody's raising their hand and that's totally okay. All right, so um, I'm gonna sing for you. I'm gonna sing you two songs, short, very short songs. The first one is um, about mindfulness. It's The words are from Thich Nhat Hanh and teacher. And the music is from Nina Wise, a local Buddhist teacher. It's called Breath.
1: In breath, out breath, deep breath, slow breath, calm breath, ease breath, smile breath, release breath, presence.
0: Song sing for us tonight is our dedication of merit. May the merit of our time together be for the benefit of
1: all beings. May every living being, our minds, is one and radiant. Share the fruits of peace with hearts of goodness, luminous and bright. If people hear and see how hands and hearts can find in giving, you and a joy may kindness find reward may all who sorrow leave our grief and pain may this boundless light meet the darkness of our secret Because our hearts are one This world of pain turns into paradise May all become compassionate and wise May all become compassionate All right, thank you
0: for being here. Wishing you a really good week. James will be here next week. Good night. Thank you, Philip. Thanks, Diane.
1: Thank you, Eve. I guess we were successful. Good job. I guess we were. You. Yay. Yay. Good team. Thank you, Eve. Mm, Pleasure. Great to see everybody. Uh, Yeah.